Well, I, I don't know if you find it every Christmas, but because I've had quite a few Christmases now, I tend to find that you can end up going through the motions. And that can be true whether it's uh, watching the same films, listening to the same music, or it can be true as well when we, when we think about Christmas as followers of Jesus and we, we read the same scriptures at this time of the year and, and we, we tell ourselves the same things. And I wonder if because of that, we can sometimes lose the wonder and lose the, the joy that um, certainly would have felt at the first Christmas when, when they realized what Jesus was doing. You know, we just read uh, the Mary's song, the Magnificat, at the, at the beginning of the service and just the wonder that she was experiencing in that moment. And the same would be true of the shepherds and uh, what happens when the angels tell them the good news. And then the wise men, the magi, when they turn up at the, at the, um, the, the manger and they kind of bow and worship before Jesus. And, and for us, sometimes we lose the wonder of it. And it can be great just to take time at this, at this season. And I know it's frantic. I know there's, there's, you know, for lots of us, it's just trying to get everything prepared. It's gonna be a different Christmas for all of us this year. For those of us who are working, it's, it's, it's the frantic build up to kind of like, you know, get everything done, get all your emails out of the inbox and everything before, so you can stop and have a rest. So there is the frantic sort of pace that happens always at this time of the year. Even so, if we could just take some time to sit and to ponder and to meditate on what we're, what we're celebrating, I think it would, just, it would seep into every part of who we are. Christmas is um, probably the only holiday I can think of anyway where everybody gives everybody else gifts. So birthdays, one person gets all the gifts anniversaries and things like that. There's an exchange between two people. But at Christmas, we buy gifts for everybody and we hope that everybody buys gifts for us. And that's a good thing because Christmas is the time where we celebrate God's gift to us. And there's really just two verses that jumped out at me as I was um, preparing for today. The first is a prophecy about the arrival of Jesus. And this was from Isaiah. Um, it's Isaiah chapter nine, verse six. And he says this, centuries before Jesus arrives. He says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, given. And the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And then John in his gospel, John 3.16 says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And so as we are in this countdown to Christmas, what could be great is to take a moment to consider the fact that Jesus is God's gift to us. He is the gift of God. And when we think about him as a gift, one of the things that comes to my mind is the fact that he is a gift that no one expected even though Isaiah prophesied about him, even though there are 322 prophecies in the Old Testament about the Messiah, the coming Saviour, the, the Saviour was prophesied but not expected. And, um, uh, and yet he turned out to be the gift that we all needed. So think about it like this. My, my oldest boy, Josiah, who you will have seen on the live stream, I'm sure, running around like a headless chicken, 
He, uh, he's five now and he's made a Christmas list for the first time this year of his own initiative. He got a little notebook out and he wrote out his Christmas list. And basically the theme is Mario. It's actually exclusively Mario products, some of which he has invented and put on his Christmas list. So he's expecting a lot of Mario this Christmas and he will be getting some Mario. Josiah, if you're watching, there will be some Mario presents. Um, but also, as, as his mum and dad, Beth and I have been talking and we just, we want to give him a gift that he isn't expecting. We want to surprise him. And really, when you give a gift that's a surprise, that's not expected, the reaction most of us are looking for is someone to, certainly what I want from, from Joss is him to open this present, look a bit kind of like puzzled, that's not on my list, and then begin to play with it and realize it is now the best thing in his world. And had he known this thing existed, it would have been number one on his Christmas list. That's the reaction we want when we give someone a present, isn't it? Them to be like, oh my word, I never would have asked for this. I didn't know I needed it. I didn't know I wanted it. I didn't even know it existed. But now I know, my word, this is the only thing I would have asked for. That's the ideal response to getting a gift. And um, before we became Christians, and I know not all of us yet are followers of Jesus, but for those of us who are, before we became Christians, I expect for most of us, Jesus was not on our Christmas list. For most of us, if you'd asked us before we said yes to following Jesus, we need from God. What's on your list of stuff you needed from God? Now, I can't speak for you, but I know what would have been on some of the things on my list. Number one, what do I need from God? More money. Number two, I need God to, to make me successful. Number three, we might ask for relationships. I need this relationship or that relationship. The more righteous among us might have said, we need God to come and sort out the world. We need him to come down in might, in power, in strength, and put the world to rights and sort out all those people that are causing all the trouble. We need God to do that. Those might be the sorts of things that we would have asked for that would have been on our Christmas list. I'm not sure a single one of us would have said, you know what we need God to do? Become a tiny little baby. Come in vulnerability. Come in weakness. We need God to be born into poverty to, to a peasant girl. We need him to grow up on the wrong side of the tracks. We need him to, to have a brief kind of few years of ministry, gather some followers, and then what we need him to do is be killed, executed in a horrific way on a cross. That's what we need from God. That won't be on our list. And yet that's what God gives us in Jesus. Isn't that crazy? And in the same way that I might look at my little boy's Christmas list, and I might say, you know what, it's not that these are bad things, but because I am, for the time being, wiser than he is, because my, my, my horizons are broader, because I do know a little bit more than he does right now, I might well say, you know what, Joss, these things are good, but I've got what you really need. And it's not on this list, but I'm going to give it to you anyway. In the same way, our God looks at who we are, looks at the state of the world, and decides to give us that which we would never have asked for that which none of us expected, but that which turned out to be exactly who we needed. Not something, but someone. Jesus Christ, the saviour of the world. The gift he gives us in Jesus, in part, is the gift of a saviour. And 
the reason for me at least I, I wouldn't have seen that I needed a savior is because for a lot of my life, I didn't think I was a sinner. I don't know if you've had that experience, but I, I, it's not that I thought I was incredible and perfect. I just thought I'm, I'm pretty good. I'm pretty nice, you know? Maybe I'm not as nice as that person over there, but I'm nicer than those people, so I'm all right. And it took me a long time to come to terms with the fact that Christianity, when it talks about human beings, one of the things it says we're glorious, made in the image of God, precious, but it also says we're sinful. And it doesn't let us wriggle away because what I usually do is, is I blame people for, th for things. Um, I blame circumstances. I'm acting badly because of the circumstances. I'm not treating people well because of the situation or because of them. I'm incredibly good at blaming other people. It's a shame Mike is not here because I blame him for most things that go wrong. I'm so good at blaming and excusing myself. And, and the scripture, the Bible, doesn't let us wriggle out in that way. It, it says to us, all have sinned, all have fallen short of the glory of God. So what that says to us is, I'm a sinner and I've fallen short. What it says is, you're a sinner and you've fallen short. Merry Christmas. It says we're sinners. But it also says a saviour has come. And in him, we, you know, we could never save ourselves. And I've realised over time how true this is. I can't even live up to my own standards, let alone God's. And yet what we're told is in him, in the saviour, we receive total forgiveness. And along with forgiveness, the gift of righteousness, the gift of his holiness. He is the gift that we needed. We just didn't know it. So he's a gift that we didn't expect, that wasn't on the list, but turns out to be exactly who we need. Second thing that springs to my mind when I think of Jesus as a gift is that this is a gift of grace. And I love the way the preacher Tim Keller talks about Christianity. He says, ours is not a wage religion. It's a gift religion. And what he means by that is that every other religion says, behave in this way, perform in this way, and then God will love you. But Christianity doesn't say that. It just says God loves you as you are. Now, absolutely, our behaviour goes on to change. And as we come to know God, there are things that he'll put his finger on and say, look, this is, you need to live differently in this area. Absolutely, our behaviour goes on to change, but it, it changes as a response to his love and as a response to this gift which is given to us by sheer grace, just because of the generosity of God. Ours is, is a gift religion. We don't earn our place with God. We're given it. And one of the things that makes this clear is the fact that God gives himself to us long before we ever give ourselves to him. A lot of the way that we do gifts, maybe this is just me again, but it tends to be reciprocal, doesn't it? So you give me a gift, I will give you a gift of a similar monetary value. Or if you're nice to me, then I might reciprocate by being nice back to you and we might exchange gifts and that's how we do it. But, but the way that God does it is, is not at all like that. So picture someone who's been incredibly mean to you this year. Picture someone who's been horrible to you. Unfortunately, my visual aid is not here to assist me today. But think of someone, in all seriousness, who has not treated you well. Are you planning on giving them a Christmas present? I imagine for most of us, the answer to that is no. For me, it would be no. You know, maybe one or two of us, I'll give them a present so they feel bad, or I'll give them a present out of a sense of duty, but most of us would not want to give them a present. 
And yet imagine having somebody who has treated us horrifically, who has rejected us, despised us, hurt us, betrayed us. Imagine a person like that and then imagine saying, now let me look around, let me find that which I treasure the most. Let me find that thing that is closest to my heart and then I'm going to give this person that. I don't think many of us could imagine ever doing that. But that is exactly what God has done in giving us Jesus. He didn't wait for us to kind of turn around and come back and sort our lives out and then give us this gift. It says in Romans chapter 5, Um, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If we were still sinners when he died, we were still sinners when he was born. Whilst we were still sinners, Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, came into the world as the gift to us. And look how we responded. And this shows, this shows the darkness of our hearts. That, you know, there were the shepherds who came and there was a small group, the Magi, who came. But apart from the shepherds and the Magi, nobody, nobody turned up. There was no room for him in the inn. There was Herod who within a short period of time tried to have him murdered. He ended up becoming a refugee. That's our, those are our representatives as humanity. We didn't welcome him in and yet he gave himself to us. We weren't interested and yet he gave himself to us. We weren't worthy and yet he gave us his very best, his very heart. God in Christmas in this moment gives us a gift that not even he can top. The only begotten son, that which is most precious to him, he gives to us. And when we kind of like just meditate on that, that I was miles away from you and yet you gave me your very best. If we can digest that and just have that living in our guts and in our souls a little more, it it really changes how we approach it. So think about it like this, you know, um, one of the things it means is that we can approach him with confidence. So often we tell ourselves stories about God and we tell ourselves these sort of stories. Again, I, I know I do it that he's a, he's a distant headmaster or that he's an angry parent or that he's this cross judge and that he's not interested or if he is, it's very reluctantly in our lives. And we, and we can allow ourselves to believe that and that can become how we think of God. But when we look at Christmas and we hold the truth of it right at the forefront of our minds and, and of our hearts and we meditate on that, then what does that say to us about how for us he is? how much he loves us, how much he, he, he adores us. And um, again, another great question that I love that you can find in the Bible is from Romans chapter 8, verse 32. This is what it says. He, Paul says this, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things. So one of the things I've been challenging myself with, and I challenge all of us, all of us in the church, is this. How about before we pray next for our anxiety, or we pray for peace, or we pray for a particular situation that we're we're concerned about, or we pray for boldness. How about just for a few minutes before we do that, we just sit, And we meditate on this truth that God has given to me his only son, Jesus.
You gave me Jesus when I was nowhere. You gave me Jesus, your very best, when I was at my worst. And then when we, when we just digest that, then we come to him and we pray for our anxiety or we pray for the person that we're interceding for, we pray for whatever it is. But we're praying now with a confidence because we know you're that for me. Your desire to give me the best and to see me thrive and to see your world made whole is that great that I can approach you knowing that what I'm bringing to you, your, your, your heart is to bless. It means we can approach him with confidence. And also what it means is it protects us from ever doubting his love. And we will all have moments where we find ourselves doubting the love of God. And we'll have times when we have questions. And that's okay. That's, that's normal. You know, the Bible's full of people who are very confused. Read the Psalms. It's got loads of questions in it. And it's, it's good. And I think it's a healthy thing to ask questions. Um, but what I can find is I can look sometimes at circumstances and situations that have gone wrong or I can look at prayers I've prayed that don't seem to have been answered by God, where they haven't been answered, certainly not in the way that I was expecting. Um, and, and then what I can do is I can use those things as like a litmus test for the love of God. You know, if God loved me, this would never have gone wrong. If God loved me, this situation would have been changed when I asked for it to be changed. And we use those as the testing ground for his love when the real testing ground is, is in the manger. If we want a real sign of his love, like one that will, will, will sing above every other noise we ever hear, it's the baby's cry in the manger. That's the sign of his love. And that might mean we're confused about other things because there are other things that are confusing. There are mysteries, some of which we'll never understand until we see him face to face. But the sign of his love is the baby in the manger. The gift that was given when we were miles away and at our worst was his very best. And here's the third and the final thing that I think about when we think of the gift of Jesus. This gift shows us that we matter to him. And it does it in, in a few different ways. Uh, one is it shows us how committed he is to us. So I remember reading this article in the BBC a little while ago about how parents were, were um, how kids, young people in the UK were the most miserable in Europe. And, uh, and it said the reason for that was because lots of parents in the UK um, were giving their kids stuff, were working all the time, giving their kids loads of stuff and assuming that what their kids wanted was things. And what it actually said is what their kids really wanted was time. And when it comes to us, what I love about the way that God gives to us is he doesn't give us an expensive new iPad or a Ferrari or something else. And, it's like, and some, sometimes people can end up thinking that's the best gift God can ever give, some, some, something nice. And instead what he does is he gives us time. He gives us his heart. He gives us relationship. He gives us himself. And he shows his commitment to us in that. And he binds himself to us by taking on flesh by becoming a person. And he will always, as a result of that, be with us, always be Emmanuel. Jesus does not stop being a human being. When he returns in the ascension to sit at the right hand of the Father, he is still a human being. He is still God with us. And one of the reasons I love celebrating weddings and doing weddings is because you, you have this party that should take place. Obviously in COVID, it's been very small parties, but nevertheless, hopefully very joyful that, that celebrate not just the fact that these people love each other in that particular moment of time, 
but it celebrates the fact that they are making in that moment a vow for all of time that they will be committed to each other. So we're celebrating not just their present love, but a vow of future love. God the Son, who has existed for all of eternity, in the moment 2,000 years ago, the very first Christmas, became a human being. And he is still a human being. And he will always be fully man as well as fully God. And we celebrate at Christmas not just that moment of love 2,000 years ago and not even just his present love for us today, but what that says to us about his vow and his commitment to everlasting future love. He shows us what we mean to him, how much we matter to him by committing to us in this utterly incredible way. And here's the other thing it shows. It shows us how much we're worth to him. You know, now, not all Christmas presents work like this. Office, secret Santa and the like, okay? But, but actually at their best, when we give someone a gift, it's a little way of saying to them, I love you. It's a little way of saying to them, this is what you're worth to me. And uh, I don't know if you've ever been on the receiving end of a very expensive gift that was almost disproportionate to the relationship. You know, like, we don't know each other and you're giving me that. What's that about? One of the things a person might be trying to say through the gift is you're worth more to me than you realise. Do you know that's what God is saying to us? So many of us, we, we, and I do it, I'm the worst at it, we hustle for our worth. We, we feel like we have to fight for it every day to become somebody. And we find different ways of doing it. So for me, it tends to be all about trying to be successful, trying to achieve. If I can achieve some goals, cross some things off, perform well, I'll be worth something. That's what I can tell myself. And for others, it's, it's, it's needing to be needed. If I can be the person who everyone depends on, if I can be the person who meets that need, then I'll be worth something. And we have other, other ways of doing it. How many likes can I get? How beautiful can I be? How funny am I? How much am I earning? We have little ways of grading it for ourselves. And really for us, they're all markers trying to assess our own worth. Well, how about this year? Instead of looking at how much we've earned or how well our job has gone or what grades we got in the exams or how many people like us, what other people are saying to us, instead of looking in the mirror, trying to figure out our worth, how about we look in the manger? How about, as it were, we go beneath the Christmas tree this year and we see what's been given to us. The gift of Jesus, the Son of God, is God saying to us, this is what you're worth to me. So we live in anticipation at Advent, but also we meditate on the gift and we remember what it says. This is a gift none of us would have put on the list turns out to be exactly what we needed. The gift of a saviour. This is a gift none of us could have earned, but that's okay, because he's given to us, all of us, sinners though we are, freely, generously, sheer gift, total grace. And what a difference it would make to us if we just took this truth and meditated on it and realised that in that gift of Jesus, God was saying to us how much we matter to him. No wonder the Magi, when they turned up at the stable, worshipped him.